The Money Cafe is brought to you by Eureka Report, your one-stop shop for all things finance. To sign up for your free 15-day trial, head to eurekareport.com.au. Now it's time to enjoy today's episode. Hello, I'm Alan Kohler, founder of Eureka Report, finance presenter on the ABC News and columnist for The New Daily. And I'm James Thompson, Chanticleer columnist at the Australian Financial Review. And we are The, the Money, Money Cafe. Cafe. Coming to you for the second time in 2023. Uh, hello, everyone, and g'day, James, for the first time. Oh, thanks. Happy yeah. New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, Alan. Um, Okay, so the big news this week is the RBA rate hike, uh, which was, I think, uh, 99% expected. <laughs> yes, largely expected. Um, there was one or two uh, economists, uh, I think, um, who was it? JP Morgan said no change. And Stephen Kukula said no change. But yeah. everyone else, 0.25. Yes. And a few economists afterwards uh, forced to scramble to redo their forecasts at the suggestion that there's perhaps more rate increases than they expected coming. I'm, su- I'm a bit surprised that uh, anyone still believes the RBA's forecasts <laughs> or predictions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's fair enough, I guess. Well, I spoke to Gareth Aird yesterday and he, he's been saying this this month would be it. Yes, And now he's time. changed his mind. Well, he's been dovish, more dovish than that too. Yeah, I know. But but he said he said this would be the, February would be the last one and now he's saying two more. Yeah. Uh, and I said, why? He said, well... The, 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 the governor told us he's going to. So we have to pay attention. Which seems fair enough. But you're saying you're, 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 you're not believing anything Phil Lowe says anymore. Well, well, what I say is, I think I may have said this before, <laughs> is that what the governor says is designed to influence behaviour at the time and should never be taken as a prediction. True, yes. It's called jawboning, yes. right? And yes. it's, you know, so when he said, the interest rate, the cash rate's going to stay at 0.1% for three years and kept saying that for 12 months. That was designed to influence behaviour then. Yes. And it was not meant to be taken as a prediction. Fair enough, fair enough yeah. That's all, uh, yeah. you know. So, uh, you know, I, he'll change his mind, that's all. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, do you think he's, do you think the economists are wrong though to anticipate two more rate rises or three? I, mean, I, I, I just simply don't know. Yeah, um, I, I do think that uh, a lot of the traditional measures of um, uh, recession and hard or soft landing are redundant now. Mm. Yeah, um, because of the amount of household debt. So uh, we're heading into, I think, and are already in a period. Of what what you might call the era of working poor. So the un- unemployment rate is kind of irrelevant a bit. Yeah. Okay. Um, yep. The you know the people. Well, unless it ticks up, then it will become very very relevant. Well, up to a point. I mean, you know, the the number two of the RBA's mandate is full employment. Yes, that's the words. Full impl- the maintenance of full employment, yep. right? Yep. So, you could argue that full employment was in the sixties at two percent unemployment. Yes. Okay. And we have now got three point four percent. Unemployment. Everyone says, "Oh, that's full employment." And but I think the Reserve Bank has redefined full employment to be the Nehru, the non-inflation, non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment, which is where they think it, unemployment starts to cause 
inflation to go up yes. when it comes down to yeah. that level. And they think the Nehru is 4 to 5%. So I think the RBA is so kind of… So we're very full employment at the moment. Well, I think the RBA has redefined full employment to be 4 or 5%. Okay, yep. Um, so yeah. they're putting up interest rates because it's below that now. Yes, Yes. It does feel I've sort of, I don't know if you've noticed this too, and particularly in the uh, notes that come out of the US, this idea of no landing, that we're, uh, we're not, a soft landing would be great, that we sort of dip into recession, inflation comes down. A hard landing would be bad, where we have a deep recession to bring inflation down. But then there's this third scenario, the sort of no landing, where the economy trundles along, unemployment doesn't change much, which is all good but inflation remains sticky and it forces the central banks, the Fed and the RBA, to raise rates further than expected or hold them longer. And I, I think that's what, that's the scenario that's sort of strangely the, the, the worry at the moment. Yeah. That we're, we're, we're not going to land, <laughs> inflation's not going to come down because uh, unemployment's so good and, and parts of the economy are still pretty strong. I and mean, we're seeing this in the early profit results and trading updates. There's no... We're not close to recession. No, there's, that's there's, right. There's no signs of that. No. And so the inflationary... I mean, Suncorp uh, had inflation... It had price rises on their premiums of 10%, insurance premiums. Uh, Amcor, packaging company, pushing up prices. They put a billion dollars of price increases through in the last six months. And Borrell's putting price increases through too, so and, and planning to continue to. So... I mean, this is this is Lowe's challenge, isn't it? He's, the 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 inflationary pulse is not ebbing as he needs it to. That's right. And uh, the other thing is the GDP is likely to be held up by China. Yeah. Uh, reopening. Yeah. Um, I had a, I had a graph on the news last night showing that there. This is from ANZ Research, showing that there are fifty thousand Chinese students with visas, student visas, right, ready to come to Australia. Yeah. Okay. When they can get a flight, yeah, and somewhere so to live. So there's fifty thousand Chinese students coming, yeah, right. But there's nowhere for them to live. That's another matter. Yes, because um, the the national rental vacancy rate is one point three percent. Yeah, know. and and lower in the parts where they want will want to well, live. Exactly. So, but putting that to one side, uh, ANZ research reckons that 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 influx of Chinese students, it's uh, alone. Um, bolsters um, GDP by 0.4 percentage points. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, it's it's going to be hard to have a recession. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a GDP recession. Yeah, and, and un- you know, an unemployment might rise to might rise back to the narrow of five percent, maybe. But maybe is that a recession? Is five percent unemployment a recession? I'm not sure. I well, don't think I, so. I, I guess, and 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 you know, I still hear stories of people hunting for staff i mean you yeah, go to any cafe and there's the help wanted signs are still up so i, know. I, I just don't quite get how rece- how unemployment's going up like that yeah so so the thing perhaps to focus on in my view is the people who have got a job uh but they their repayments have gone up a thousand bucks a month yeah and you know that's terrible but they're the ones who are still spending they're still spending like mad on holidays. Well, well, still packing the restaurants. No, no, I don't, no they're not. They're, they're not. Oh, somebody, well, some, is. somebody is. Somebody is. That's right. But there are a whole lot of people who aren't affected so much by that. No, I'm not, I'm by not the sure. Rate. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. 
Yeah. S- somebody is, but I, 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 it's got to be some of them. It just has to be. Right. I can't, I can't just be... So the last days of the Roman Empire. Oh, I think there's a lot of... You hear a lot about sort of revenge spending. I mean, people... You think about the holiday period we've just had. If you haven't seen your family in Western Australia or wherever it is for three years, you're not, you're not going to go, nah, I'm not making that trip because of my mortgage payments are going up. You're going, well, I've saved up for this for three years. I'm going. Hmm. Okay, it's going to cost a bomb. Hmm. So I, I, don't, I don't know. I think... I think spending impulses are pretty strong still. I mean, CBA had credit card data out, spending up 12% on last year in the last couple of weeks. So, just finally, just speaking about Lowe, um, Mr. or Dr. Philip Lowe, <laughs> Governor of the RBA, I saw a story yesterday saying that um, uh, Jim Chalmers said that all options are on the table with regard to uh, his tenure yes. in September. His term en- ends in September. Because, I mean, the, the conventional view has been sack low, you know. It was yeah. Sack low. Well, n- Senator... Low must be sacked. Senator Nick McKim was calling him to be sacked yesterday and for Chalmers to reverse the rate rise decision. I mean, there's a there's a bit of interventionist policy. Yes, well... <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's interesting because I, I had assumed actually that Phil Lowe wouldn't stand again. That he'd, yeah, that okay. he'd uh, wander off into the distance. But I suppose... Um, that's you know, unlikely. He's probably going to want to go again if he can. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. So uh, anyway, it's interesting. I, I mean, I I suppose Chalmers would say that all options are on the table. Well, yeah, he'll want to give himself breathing space, particularly on the day when Lowe's being kicked around from pillar to post. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to offer him his uh, unconditional support. No. Oh, yeah. Um, on uh, corporate matters, you're all over. You're all over. Mergers and acquisitions, generally. Yes. What's going on with well, New Newcrest and Newmont? Well, this is interesting, and it's a bit confusing because their bloody names are so close. But also, Newcrest was used to be a part of Newmont. It did, yes, yes. So Newmont is the world's biggest gold miner, and it's based in the US. And Newcrest is Australia's biggest gold miner, and it's got mines in Australia and Canada and, and Papua New Guinea. And Newmont's got mines in Australia too. It does so. have a few gold mines in Australia, yep. So they, Newmont is trying to buy Newcrest for $24 billion using only its shares, so no cash is involved. Um, and it's a fascinating like, – there's been this wave of consolidation in gold mining for like 20 years, just – sort of deals after deals. And this is another step in this. Basically, there's um, gold is getting harder to find generally and harder to get at. So it's further underground. It's more expensive to mine. And then getting a gold mine started. It's like Bitcoin, really. Yeah, it's (laughs) true. (laughs) Getting a gold mine started is getting more difficult too because of basically governments don't love mine mining and new mines anymore so this is a way for newmont to get scale um and get you know uh tons of production or ounces of production as it is in gold so fascinating deal and um you know gold price has been doing very well since uh october so so are they paying enough and do they need to put some cash in not sure i, I i'm not sure i think investors will be okay with getting newmont shares that seems to be the the, the the general feel, but yeah, the investors want more. I mean, and you know, Newmont's put two bids in now. The first, the board of Newcrest just said no, nope. and the second one, they've said, uh, yeah, we'll think about this. I think that's partly because they got flushed out by the Fin Review, um, which got wind of these talks. So we're waiting for Newcrest to decide whether they think this bid's enough. 
I think you're right. There's probably another round of bidding to be done. I mean, not that I want to disparage the Finreview's investigative powers, but usually when something like that gets into the press, it's deliberate. True, yeah. They yeah. want it to go in the press. So somebody oh, yeah. wanted to leak it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they, they, this deal wants to get be – somebody wanted this deal flushed out, that's yeah. for sure. But, um, yeah, that uh, where it goes from here will be interesting. Yeah, but anyway, they're, 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 and there's no one else going to join no, the auction, are the, there? No, the, the other potential one was Barrick, which is the second biggest gold mine in the world, and they have said, no, nope, not for us. Go for it, New, Newmont. Yeah, right. So interesting, interesting one to watch. Newcrest's one of those sneaky big companies. You know, everyone sort of forgets about it, but it's worth $19 billion in market value. So it's a sneaky big company. Yeah, it's because it's so boring. Oh, wow. Hey, gold's I mean, fascinated people for centuries, Alan. No, it's really And boring. it's a weird, you know, gold is a sort of weird thing, right? It's um, Its utility is relatively limited. I know, but Jesus, gold mine's boring. <laughs> I mean, enough. honestly. Well, let's stop talking about it then. <laughs> Move on to something better. Well, what about the uh, the review in a financial advice, Michelle Levy's thing? Did she say something this week? She did. She she well, her um, uh, her final report was handed to the government, the Labor government, which promptly said, "Thank you, Michelle. Let's have another round of uh, review and consultation and kick the can down the road." The, the big thing that she suggested is basically in order to try and make financial advice more affordable. So instead of going to get your $5,500 statement of advice, which is out of the reach for a lot of people, that she would recommend, she recommends dropping the best interest duty so that the duty that requires a financial advisor to act in the best interest of their clients and change that for something that says the uh, advisor has a duty to provide good advice. Now, um, Levy's argument is this would uh, allow free up the market and allow different people to offer different types of advice. Maybe not the full financial advice you get from a planner, but maybe you know some coaching or uh, some other levels of advice that help people. Um, the interesting thing, though, of course, is Labor was the uh, the party that introduced the future of financial advice reforms. So it's effectively being asked to sort of unpick some of that, and so it's it's been put in a difficult position by this um, and there's some vocal consumer groups saying I think one of them said this would be the uh, start of a new royal commission or the start of the path to a new royal commission if it was if these changes Who were made. Who said that? Uh, the Consumer Action Law Centre or one of those um, oh, God. consumer groups. So it's a tough one. I mean you, you can see what they happen. Well, you can see the point that you know these reforms are very hard won, but I can also see the point that advice is out of the reach of a lot of people. And given how much property is worth in Australia and how big super balances we're getting in Australia, people need a bit of help with that, I, I would have thought. Sure. That's they right. can't just rely on the Money Cafe question and answer segment to get them through. Well, imagine when you go to the doctor, you have to have a full medical yeah. to start off with. It'll cost you five thousand bucks. Yeah, that's he a said good. we go to the doctor. It costs us well. It should, should <laughs> cost us ninety nine thirty nine dollars seventy, which is the or whatever it is the Medicare rebate. But yeah. you know it costs us ninety bucks or whatever. Whatever. Yep. And you go for fifteen minutes, and you yeah. you get advice on a particular ailment. You should have that with uh, financial advice. Yeah. But the problem is that you know the the, the rules haven't really allowed that. 
And the reason for that, the fundamental reason, in my view, is that nobody trusts uh, financial advisors. Yeah. And so there had to be this hugely interventionist and expensive uh, compliance regime put in place to yeah. overcome the uh, general untrustworthiness of advisors, or at least the, the perception of it. Yeah. Because most advisors, of course, are trustworthy. Well, and now they've had... Um, a lot of the the, the, guard, the guardrails have been changed, so you're not you can't get kickbacks from selling your that's own right. products, and so so that, and that's right. When their the, trust when should be restored. To when when the law was first introduced, there was kickbacks going on all over the place. Yeah, and so they did have to have that regime. And so I, I don't know what the controversy now is. now. The kickbacks are gone. Stand education standards have, and professional standards have lifted. So you know, yeah. I guess it's. The challenge for advisors is to sell the sell the argument that they're trustworthy and they can be trusted to yeah. uh, implement a new. So regime. this was this was Michelle Levy's final report, was it? Yeah, that's right. Right. Well, yeah. they should just the government should just say, okay, tick. No. Well, the government hasn't. Stephen Jones, the assistant treasurer, has said uh, he's not really of a mind to change, and we'll have another round of expert review oh. and a fourth round of public consultation. Really. So, I mean, if that's just what a joke. kicking this thing down the road. Yeah, Jesus, what a joke. Yeah. Oh. How are we going for time? We should move on to questions, shouldn't we? No worries. You want me to start? Go on. Tom is from Dublin and writes to us. Hi, Tom. I've only come across the show recently and it's been great for staying up to date with Australian markets. I'd love to know what you guys think about the current rally. Most other global market commentators are saying the US and EU are just seeing bear market rallies. Do you think it's the same in Australia or are we or are or are we just a good start to a, having just a good start to a potentially good year? <laughs> Well, that, that is the question, Tom. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's wondering that. Is it, is it a bear market rally or is it a new bull market? Um, and there's a big debate going on. Huge, yep. <laughs> uh, and it comes down to whether there's a soft landing or a hard landing, mainly in the US. The world generally, yes, but mostly the US. Um, I reckon it's in the hands of the central banks. I think that's right. I think it's I mean, in the hands of the Fed and the RBA. To Tom's point, though, I reckon he raises a good point. Australia might be moving at a slightly different pace because of our proximity to China. Yes. If, if the Chinese reopening, and I think it'll be lumpy and a bit bumpy here and there, if that keeps rolling, w w we should have a better year than the US and the EU. Well, particularly in terms of GDP because yeah. of the exports and Chinese students and yeah. so on. Um, but, you know, uh, the miners and materials are now 35% of the market. Tech's fallen away. Yeah. So... If the miners have a good year, the ASX will have a good year. But the rally, the rally from October the third is sixteen percent of the all ordinaries. Big move, isn't it? It's big. That's a big rally, you know. Yeah. So the market is not pricing a hard landing. No, not price. Well, yeah, it's barely pricing a soft one. <laughs> it's priced for perfection, really. It's not priced for a well, lot of bad news. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, if it depends what depends on the time frame you use. I mean, obviously, the, the rally from October thirty is huge. Yeah, uh, the MSCI Global Index is up nineteen percent from uh, from October. October the twelfth was the bottom, uh, but it's basically back to where it was on January the first, twenty twenty two. Our market, yes, yes. Uh, in total return terms, it's basically flat. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't know. Is that is that pricing for uh, recession or not? I mean, well, it wouldn't of... appear to be pricing in 
uh, 3.5% rate of worth of rate hikes. Since then. Since then. So, you know, that's got to have some effect, but the market's telling you, nah, don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. That's right. (laughs) You know. (laughs) So, uh, sorry, Tom, the answer is we don't don't know. (laughs) But but I think as Tom's sort of right, Australia's got a better chance of it, of a more sustained rate. It's interesting because we didn't have a recession uh, last time, all no. the time before, when the world had recessions, yes, we didn't. We didn't have a recession. Saying we're Jew, Alan. Well, no, it just, <laughs> it just. I think it just points out that Our we don't resilience. necessarily yeah. have. We don't necessarily have recessions when everyone else does, because mainly because of China. Yeah, that's what happened point. in um, you know 2008. We didn't have a recession mainly because of China. Also, uh, also, I think our uh, fiscal response was pretty good at that time. Yes. Uh, Ian says, with all the talk about putting a ceiling on super balances, tax fairness and keeping older people in work, here's a crazy idea for Jim Chalmers. Once you hit 60, the first, say, the first, say $100,000 of income from any source is tax-free. Every dollar over $100,000 from any source is taxed at the normal rate. You can index the threshold. This would encourage older people to work, prevent the super rich from becoming subsidised by the taxpayer and continue to ensure older poor people are kept out of the tax system. It would also be simple to understand. What do you think? Well, Ian, I reckon you're a genius. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I reckon it's, there's some attraction to this, I think isn't it's there? fantastic. Yeah. So yeah. income from any source, so that's interest or... Whatever. Um, yeah, capital doing, gains. Doing a bit of work. Doing a bit of work, yeah. 100000 bucks or whatever. I mean, pick a number. Yep. Um, Tax-free. Yep. And then over that... You pay tax. I think it's. Do, think, do you pay tax at full freight or yeah. at a sort of the the super tax levels, the concessional uh, levels? Well, yeah. he's saying full freight. I reckon full freight. I mean, it's progressive, right? So, uh, you know, if you earn another thirty thousand, it's going to be minimally taxed. Yes. But if you earn another two hundred thousand, yes, it's going to be taxed at forty five percent or whatever. Yeah. I mean. Why not? It's, it's got it's, some merit. I reckon it's a ripper. Yeah. <laughs> Go in. Go in. Uh, Julian says, last week Alan mentioned mortgage repayments as a percentage of income have hit an in-trouble threshold of 33%, assuming an average household income is servicing an average mortgage of 560k. Both house prices and wages, perhaps to a lesser degree, vary around the country, so I'm interested in how this percentage of income figure varies too. What are the most and least affordable places to live in Australia? Well, uh, good good question, Julian, and the answer is that um, in Sydney... Uh, if you take uh, interest payments as a percentage of uh, the uh, sorry interest payments as a percentage of the income of those who have a mortgage rather than uh, total disposable yeah, income yeah, yeah, yeah. because most of the uh, most of the stats show uh, on an aggregate sort of global basis yes. or total basis they show uh, mortgage repayments as a percentage of total disposable income which is currently 11% right which sound, doesn't sound very much. It's not very much. But in Sydney, yeah. uh, mortgage repayments as a percentage of the income of those who have a mortgage is above 40%. Right. Yikes. Okay. So the average across Australia that I worked out uh, is kind of 33%-ish. Okay. Um, but but there are big differences. Sydney is your pocket of worry. Sydney's the outlier. Right. At above 40%. Mel- uh, Melbourne is um, uh, 33 okay. I think. Uh, and the other states are all lower. 
and I can't remember Makes the exact sense. numbers, Makes but sense. but the uh, the least affordable place to live in Sydney, is Australia, is Sydney. I mean, that's no surprise to anyone. No, no. But because um, you know, house prices are much more out of whack in Sydney than incomes are out of whack. If you know what I mean? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Incomes are more or less the same as around the rest of the country, but house prices have surged. Yeah, substantially more. So the 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 um, median house price in Sydney is a million bucks, basically, and it's, not, it's nowhere near that anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, and those that calculation that I was doing was based on um, a family where one adult's working full time, one adult's working part time, mm-hmm. both on the average weekly earnings. Yep. and they have the average mortgage. Yeah, okay. Of five hundred and sixty thousand. Yeah. Yep. And so then I worked out the repayments on that and their after-tax income, and the answer is thirty-three percent. But in Sydney, it's forty over forty. Yeah, wow. Anyway. Uh, Leanne says, "Absolutely love the show." Uh, thank you, Leanne. I was listening to a podcast recently where Noel Whitaker was asked what he would do with his money if given the chance to invest again as a youngster. He suggested he would buy a house, remortgage it, and use the 500k from the remortgage to put it in an index fund for the next 30 to 40 years. Guaranteed good return on investment. I'd be interested to know what young Alan, Stephen or James would do if they had a few hundred thousand to invest as 20 to 30 year olds. My husband and I currently have a very small money pot of about 200k without any investments other than a few sheep and cattle. No property or shares. If we were looking for a long-term investment, would you? What would you recommend? Property, index fund, super. Uh, first, so there's kind of two questions here. The what would I do as a twenty or thirty-year-old? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> uh, I looked at the I looked at the all ordinaries since I was twenty. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> the compound the compound growth rate of the all ordinaries index. Yeah. Over those fifty years, six point seven percent. Okay, that's. Uh, so if I put a, if you put a hundred thousand bucks in the, if I invested a hundred thousand bucks then, which was, you know, a lot uh, of money, which was completely impossible. <laughs> yes, uh, I'd, I'd have uh, one point eight million now. Okay. Yep. Uh, which is not that much, really. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for a, you know, for a ridiculous amount of money. At that age, the thing to have done would be to have bought um, CSL yes. in the float in 1994 when it was turned from uh, turned from being Commonwealth Serum Laboratories into CSL um, at a sort of a adjusted price of um, 70 cents. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, that would have been good. Uh, now 300 bucks. So that compound rate is 24% over... Uh, over those twenty-eight years, and um, if you put a hundred thousand bucks in there, you'd be you'd have seventy-seven million dollars now. Wow! So, well, I think I would when I was twenty. It would have been a good idea to have a portfolio of perhaps Amazon, Alphabet, yes. and uh, and and Facebook. Uh, you would have had well, to get out a, at the right time. That was a bit I, more recent. Yes, that's right. <laughs> there was no such thing as Google and Amazon then. So when I was twenty. But I think Noel's advice is pretty sound i mean we don't want to we can't provide specific advice to leanne and we don't know her age and other circumstances but um i think generally it it, it makes sense to try and get us to, to to take advantage of the 
tax benefits in superannuation as much. So if you can top up your super a bit, that, that's that's helpful. Um, and then I'd probably lean more to an, over a th- for a thirty or forty year bet, an index fund would be more uh, more attractive to me than property because you know you got to maintain property and you suburbs change and tastes change and all sorts of things change. An index fund should, you know, track the all ordinaries like you did. Yeah, that's right. And an index fund of the market yeah. will probably compound over 30 or 40 years, probably compound at 65 to 7% and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. I mean, but but we always say, and you're right, James, that, you know, you should put as much in super as possible but simply for the tax benefit. Super is simply a tax, yeah. a tax structure. Uh, a, a tax-effective way to invest in whatever you're going to invest in. Yes, and and super obviously gets you that uh, balance of different things. You'll get a bit of infrastructure and a bit of unlisted assets and a bit of the market and a bit of cash. So that's it's good like that. <laughs> um, Nick says uh, it's, it seems like the growing consensus that the RBA is almost done hiking rates, and by the time the next episode of the Money Cafe airs, Phil Lowe might have publicly joined this camp. He has. My question is, what would it take for the RBA to backflip again and keep hiking through the rest of the year? What unplausible scenario would force the RBA to push the cash rate up another 100 or 200 basis points by 2024? It's not that unplausible, is it? Inflation doesn't come down. That's all. That's all it is, yeah. yeah. It's just inflation can't be got down. Um, I think 75 basis points is looking completely plausible at the moment, uh, Nick. Um, so, you know, there is economists expecting now three more hikes that gets us to 4.1%. I mean, it's implausible. It's arguably implausible because inflation's already coming down. Yeah. Yeah. So it would be unlikely that inflation sort of picks up again. But, you know, you know nothing's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Michael says, my wife and I love the show and she says, I've missed this Q&A from a previous podcast but can't find it. So my question is, what is the benefit of risks using a broker who holds who holds shares you purchase as a custodian and you are the beneficial owner rather than one who buys them under your own HIN, holder identification number? What's your view about that? I'm really not sure. I, I, I don't think there's a massive difference. Um, but I, 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 yeah, it's a bit I think the my... risk is simply that the broker goes broke. Yeah. Um, but even then, I think the sh- I think your shares are held on trust, so they'd be returned yeah. to you. I, I don't think there's a massive practical issue. I think it's probably more about whether you want to do it yourself or use a broker. That's the main thing. Yeah, but if you're using it, yeah, well, I guess that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think there's huge practical difference, but I'd get advice on that. So Ask that, the broker; they'll tell you. So, so Michael, that. Answer wasn't really worth waiting for, was it? <laughs> no. I'm sorry about that, Michael. Um, Cole Barron. Cole Barron. Like a coal trickle out of uh, Days of Art. Th- I'm in my 30s and recently made good money selling some shares in the other black gold. Coal. But I'm not sure how to redeploy it. I want to use this money to create long-term value, 10 plus years, and invest in a diversified ETF. Given some are predicting a ten a US recession and flow on effects it would have for the ASX, should I average in and therefore keep a decreasing chunk in cash as I do this? What do you think is an appropriate time span to average in for this lump of money? For what it's worth, I already own a home with a standard mortgage. Don't fight the Fed. Good advice. <laughs> we can't provide personal <laughs> advice, Mr. Cole Barron. So uh, this is just general advice. Mm. Averaging in 
Uh, yeah, sure. I, I think could uh, over twelve months would be. It depends how much you got, really. I mean, if you got a million bucks, you could probably put in a uh, hundred thousand a month. Yeah, over I'm, ten months. Yeah, I mean, I think that. I don't think there's any sort of set rule around averaging in. I, I, I think no. it's just what period do you th- – I mean, yeah, he's going for 10 years, so maybe averaging in over 10 months sounds reasonable, but I don't I don't think there's a hard and fast rule no, around No, no, definitely. That. There isn't. No. Um, you know, you could average in over 10 weeks if you really wanted to get the stuff. I mean, you, you really have to make a decision as to how uh, comfortable you are with um, with things and do you, do you think – there's likely to be a recession or not, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in fact, I, I might just jump to another question from Rabbit, who says, with the onset of a recession, would it be pertinent to have at least 10% of your assets in cash or do we buy gold and plat- uh, platinum? I, I'm not sure about gold and platinum, but it, it is a reasonable point. I, if you think a downturn's coming, having some cash, particularly now given uh, deposit rates and term deposit rates and cash management account rates are rising, probably a reasonable idea. I think even Ray Dalio, who used to say cash is trash, has changed his view. And, you know, cash is looking attractive compared to some uh, other asset classes. Well, that's right. And the return on cash is rising as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, a year ago, the return from cash was virtually zero, but now you can get a bit for it, at least. I I loved a comment on Twitter. I can't remember who it was from, but uh, he said, given the rates on cash, you're being paid to wait. Paid to wait and see what happens. Yeah, there you go. Which is not a bad sort of way of thinking about that the is, world. That is. That's really good. Yeah. I might uh, pinch that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I have, so you <laughs> pay it forward. <laughs> Emily says, is there another option for super for those with a sufficiently high balance that even the lowest percentage fees seem a lot in absolute terms? I can't be bothered with an SMSF, but is that the only other choice? Well, just to deal with the SMSF thing, um, you don't with an SMSF. You don't actually have to manage it yourself. You can get you can get it managed by somebody. Yeah. Um, and for the question <laughs> for a fee. And the question of whether it's worth doing depends on how much you've got. Yes. Um, unless yes. you're paying a percentage fee, in which case, I mean, because some of the a lot of the fees with SMSF for the audit and the accounting and so on are fixed dollars. So the more money you've got then the less, the lower percentage it is, uh, those fixed dollar fees are. Um, but, yeah, okay, leaving that aside because you don't want to have an SMSF, fair enough. Uh, what's the alternative? Well, I think it's super. And, and yes, your fees uh, do look – if you've got a big balance, which obviously Emily does, yes, your fees um, look high in absolute terms. But I – I don't know if that's the right way to think about it. I mean, yes, you've got a big balance, so your fees might look big, but you are getting something for those fees. You know, you're getting your money managed without the hassle of an SMSF or having to do it yourself or, or so, so you're getting something for that. I, I think Emily's sort of got to suck the fees up a little bit and, and, and be satisfied you're getting a good deal and you like the fund and all that sort of thing, but you are getting a good deal. Yeah, fees aren't outrageous. No, no, uh, especially with the big funds. Yeah, uh, you know, you shouldn't. I mean, you shouldn't pay more than much more than 0.7, should you? Yeah. Uh, yes. No, you should not. And so, yeah, shop around a little bit, but um, the fees are pretty compared to even compared to an SMSF. 
Yeah, yeah. Your, 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 your fees are going to look pretty good. Well, if you're going to get someone, if you're going to have an SMSF and get someone to manage the money for you, you're going to be paying more than 1%, yeah. possibly one and a half. Yeah. Uh, so, you, you know, with a big super fund, you'll be paying half that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, final question from Alan. Um, there has been a native title problem with pr- approvals for an undersea pipeline near the Tiwi Islands. For This is a left-field question. <laughs> Crikey. Uh, an undersea pipeline near the Tiwi Islands for the Barossa project. I can't find details, details, but the pipeline seems to be quite a way offshore. Could you find how far from the island the proposed pipe is supposed to be? Santos seems underpriced to me. Uh, crikey. I think... What do you do? Put this in, Greg. <laughs> I think the um, <laughs> I think the issue here... I mean, this is a really fascinating test case because I think the issue here is that the pipeline runs through the traditional fishing waters of these First Nations peoples and that's the problem that yeah. um, Santos is sort of confronting. So, you know, even if I had a metre value for the, uh, you know, if it's 700 metres or 900 metres or whatever it is, I don't I don't think that's the point. Uh, the issue is going to be around whether the sort of, um, uh, the native title extends to those those waters. So, um, I'm just, uh, I, I'm just Googling Barossa Project Pipeline, yeah, well, Tiwi is, Islands, or, and, yeah. and the pipeline actually does go quite close to Bathurst Island. Right. Is that, that's a Tiwi, is that a Tiwi? I'm not sure. It, it's I quite close. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I don't know what, the, uh, 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 I can't, I can't tell what. I, I'm not sure the meterage argument is going to wash here is what I'm trying to say. It, 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 if it's 100 metres or one kilometre, that's not the point. Right. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. That That's not what this case is being fought on. So It's the question of whether the yes. native title extends to the fishing yeah, yeah. and how far into the fishing uh, waters. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, oh. um, so uh, but has this, got much, has this got something to do with the price of Santos? Well, the Barossa project is now under a cloud because of this issue, um, and I guess Alan's point is that uh, were, were, were this project to go ahead – World needs gas. That would be a, a fill-up for um, Santos's price. But uh, yeah, look, they've been trying to get this one up for a long time, and um, right, Alan can take the punt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks for listening, everyone, to today's episode of the Money Cafe uh, with um, with James Thompson. Stephen Mann will be back next week, so send in a question for us, and we'll answer it together. Uh, the email is themoneycafe at eurekareport.com.au. Until then, I'm Alan Kohler, founder of Eureka Report, etc. And I'm James Thompson, Shantaclear columnist at the Australian Financial Review. See you next week. 